Aleluia. I love, I love the challenge of that song because, you know, I don't think you will be able to show me one thing you can do. Amen. And, and for those who believe in cessation, you know, that, well, that was just for the first century. That was just for those in the Bible. Well, too late because I've already experienced it. So apparently I must be in the first century then, you know, right? Man, I'm glad he's still an on-time, moving, powerful God. Amen and amen and amen. I've been saying this the last few days. God's been just showing me this. Not only is God moving, but God is moved by our prayer, our expectation, our passion. And so I just want to encourage you, let's keep touching the heart of God. Amen. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. God bless you. Um, just want to mention again, we've got, you know, great things coming up uh, this month. Do want to also explain to you that on December 24th, uh, Christmas Eve, of course, that is a Sunday, we will have just one service. It'll be at 1030. And uh, so there will not be the two, the, it won't be first word and then worship. It'll be just uh, the time of, of 1030, but we will worship at that time. There'll be some songs and uh, Pastor Lucas will be bringing uh, a Christmas message and it'll just be the one service. So again, just 1030 on Christmas Eve, December 24th. So if you're in town and you're here, we'd love to have you come. I know some will be traveling. I myself and my family are, are ones that will be traveling. But otherwise, if you're here, we invite you to be here and be a part of that. Of course, it will be live streamed as well for any of our um, followers and or saints that are out there that want to participate in it that way. So we're excited for that. Also looking forward to what God's going to do here as we wrap up the year on the 31st. And excited, we'll have our volunteer presentation for the month, but also for the volunteers of the year. And we're looking forward to that. And as well, we will launch the 2024 vision on December 31st. And then we will do that again for those that may not be here, but we'll do it again on January 7th. But our initial time to launch that will be December 31st. We're looking forward to that and excited for all that God is going to do. So amen and hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, at this time, we'll go ahead and dismiss our students and our children. Appreciate all of our staff and hard workers. Amen. Thank you so much for serving. And uh, if the rest of you would join me in the book of First Peter, I'm going to take us to First Peter <clears throat> chapter number 5, and we'll start at verse number 1. Lord willing, I will complete First Peter 5 by the end of this month and um, share with you what the Lord has given me uh, as we complete this series over the next few weeks. And then we'll see what God's going to do in 2024. Amen and amen. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of, of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being an ensamples to the flock. 
And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. For just a few minutes of your time as we're here tonight, I want to teach on this topic, God's expectations for elders. Amen. Well, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time that we have together tonight. We thank you for your spirit that is in this place. And we know, Lord, that you are doing great and mighty things and will do greater. I pray you would anoint our time together. Let, our, let your word minister to our hearts. Let me walk in your spirit and not in my flesh and say only what you want and nothing more or less. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Simply defined, elders are those who preside over God's church. So, we can then make the uh, direct correlation to the fivefold ministry that the elders then are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers who are God's gift to the church. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to read a few verses there. I, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8. I am going to read this portion from uh, the ESV just uh, for a couple of reasons, but we'll get into it as we go here. Verse 8 says, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Drop down to verse 11, and he gave. So the, some of the gifts he gave were initially the fivefold ministry. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints. The, the uh, King James says, for the perfecting of the saints. And I remember how Pastor Everett used to say, but not for the perfect saints. Amen. And I'm so glad that God perfects us, but that, you know, that's a part of the process. Amen. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves uh, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which which with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So you have a five-fold ministry, and some people think that it has a you know, couple-fold purpose. Well, really, it's a single-fold purpose, to equip the saints. And as the saints are equipped, then together, saints and five-fold do the work of the ministry. So it's not that the five-fold equips the saints and does the work of the ministry themselves, it's the saints are equipped to do the work of the ministry. And then as well, a part of that includes the maturity doctrinally and spiritually as we develop in God to that mature manhood and are able to connect together and grow together in love. So ultimately, everything we do is to be done in love. It is what brings us together, and it's how we connect one with another. Now, besides what 1 Peter chapter 5, 2 and 3 
give as qualifications. Paul also wrote to Timothy and Titus in what we call the pastoral epistles and gave some qualifications for elders. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, if you want to turn there with me. 1 Timothy 3, 1. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Then in Titus, similar list, but some things are a little bit different, worded differently. But in Titus 1, verses 5 through 9, here's what Paul said to Titus. For this cause I left thee in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city. So there's that word again, and it's why I'm titling this tonight, Expectations or God's expectations for elders. Ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but of a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Now, in all those lists I just read, those that are similar and or different, there is only one of them that is a taught skill. Everything else there is character. Everything else in those lists are all about integrity. And the only one that can be taught is apt to teach or able to teach. So, you can see that God expects quite a bit of those who he wants to lead his church. You might say, well, why am I preaching this to saints? Right? Well, first of all, it's the next segment in the text of, 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 as we're preaching through this exposition of 1 Peter. Secondly, God wanted me to. Thirdly, you need to know what God expects of your pastor and pastoral team. Because part of that expectation then extends to you as what God expects of his church. So, here we go. Now that we know what elders are, now, we, now that we know how they serve God's purpose, we need to take 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, and dig deeper into God's expectation for elders. Number one, feed the flock of God. Look at verse, 1 Peter 5, verse 2. The first expectation is that elders are to feed the flock of God which is among you. I can imagine that when God inspired Peter to write this verse, that Peter may have paused and remembered Jesus talking to him about 30, 33 years prior, saying virtually the same thing. He's on the shore, and he notices Jesus, and he swims from the boat to the shore and begins to talk to Jesus, and, and they eat a, a meal of fish there, and, 
And Jesus turns to him, and this is recorded in John 21, 15. And when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, son of Jonah, Lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. I don't know how long he paused, but then he turned and he said it again. He saith unto him the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, love, lovest thou me? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my sheep. Then Jesus a third time, verse 17, saith to Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. I can imagine when, when Peter's writing this in, in his epistle that he remembers that moment. He remembers that conversation. And, and you know, as, as we all do with our memories, you know, what it was doing that day, how the sun was shining, so on and so forth. But did you know that God also inspired Paul to say almost virtually the same thing? Acts 20, verse 28, he said these words recorded by Luke, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So Paul here pauses in, in what he's doing here in Acts 20, and he addresses those who oversee the church, the elders, the fivefold. He's saying to them, hey, take, take heed to this, because God expects you to feed the church of God. So what does it mean to feed the flock of God? Does that mean we start, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, Taco Bell inside the church or... Or, you know, some sort, right? You know, am I to, am I to start a little, you know, uh, home-cooked business or something? You know, no, that's, that's not what it means. It's not literally feed the church, as in food that we put into our mouths. But rather, it means to act as a shepherd to keep or tend the sheep. It is the spiritual care of God's church, foremost being the consistent preaching and teaching of the Word of God. This is why you have Peter in Acts chapter 6 saying, hey, I know you want us to help with the Grecian widows and the Hellenist widows that, that are in need, but it's not good for us to leave what God has called us to do. Instead, we're going to pray and appoint seven people to do that. That way we can, and this is what he said in Acts chapter 6, give ourselves more continually to prayer and the ministry of the Word. I am most effective as your pastor when I am giving the ministry of the word, whether it's from this pulpit publicly or to any one of you privately or in a group or whatever setting. I'm feeding the flock of God. Now, let me ask you a question. Let's, let's use natural food for just a minute. I know there might be some of our children that like to eat the same thing every time, you know. But how many of our, us as parents know that that's not healthy? That a well-balanced diet of different types of vegetables and, and grains and meats and so forth, right? I like good steak, but I imagine if I had steak every day, I'd get tired of it. And so a well-rounded diet of food. But let me ask you, you also know this. How many of you know that it's a lot better to have a good home-cooked meal than it is to always have fast food. By the way, whoever put the S in fast food was very wise. Some of you got that. Right? 
Let's be honest, all that fried junk and, you know, yeah, it might be convenient, but it ain't helping us health-wise. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Do you want a type of pastor and pastoral team that just feeds you, you know, the, the same chicken nuggets and french fries every time? Or would you like some steak and potatoes and some roast beef and, and some chicken every once in a while? And how about some, some you know, pork chops, right? You, you want a well-rounded diet. And so the pastoral team is best, does its best job when it is bringing you the word of the Lord. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We often quote that, and we should, and thank God he inspired the word of the Lord. But have you ever considered the next verse? I'll read it to you. It says that the man of God may be perfect. That means complete. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That's why when I hear preachers say, I don't have a message, I want to pick up my Bible and hit them over the head with it. There's 66 books. You mean you can't find a message there? And, and, and I get sometimes what we're saying, we're, we're looking for divine inspiration. But, but let me say this regarding that. I don't pray necessarily for God to give me a message. I pray for God to let me minister because the message is already relevant. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, I am complete through the Word of God. And when I bring it to you, I'm also complete. I've also learned something in my many years of pastoring and preaching. I used to be of the mindset that once God, you know, gave me some fresh revelation, I've got to bring it all out and lay it all out. And, and sometimes it was too much. Now, I'm a fast eater. I get that. And it's not always the best thing for me. So I, I do try to slow down sometimes. However, can you imagine, uh, you know, taking a, a loaf of bread and just, right? It wouldn't work, would it, you know? <laughs> And so how do you, you know, you've heard this uh, phrase, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Well, I've also learned that also sometimes things need to come in, in more bite-sized types of, of servings rather than just, <clears throat> here it is. Even when a pastor rebukes or corrects or disciplines, he must use the word of God and do so in love and with long-suffering. Did you know there is eternal ramifications to preaching and teaching? That what we're doing right now, and what we do on Sunday when we first word and in our worship service, did you know there's eternal ramifications to that? Let me show you. 1 Timothy 4.16. This is Paul speaking to Timothy, another, another fellow elder, a son in the gospel. Take heed unto yourself, Timothy, and unto the doctrine... Continue in them, taking care of yourself and the word of the Lord. Watch this. For in doing this, you shall both save yourself and them that hear you. That means the opposite is also true. That if I don't take heed to myself in the doctrine, I damn myself and those that hear me. There's eternal ramifications to the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. It's why it needs to be important in our lives. Not just when we're at church, but you need to be at home taking what's been preached and taught and studying it 
taking the Word of God and digging into it. Amen. How many of you ever heard this phrase? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. Right? I've heard that phrase many times. I've actually heard pastors use it uh, in a negative connotation about their churches. And yeah, I got a church where I can, I can lead them to water, but nobody wants to drink. They even have used verses like Isaiah 118, where it says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your skins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The next verse says, If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. And then verse 20 says, But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And they use that verse or that passage to, to say, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm leading them, but I ain't drinking, you know. Well, while this verse and passage does indicate that you can either receive or reject the word of God and his offer for salvation, I think it's quite a stretch to uh, say that it connects to the cliche that we so often have said about horses and water. Besides, <clears throat> the church is not likened unto horses but rather sheep. There's a big difference. Um, as well, God himself leads his sheep, making them to lie down in green pastures and leading them beside still waters. So, in other words, I would rather say it this way. Um, I can't make you drink, but I can at least lead you to the water. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of the same thing, but it's, it's more putting the impetus upon me that I'm going to make sure I'm bringing you there. I'm going to make sure that I'm giving you an ample buffet of what God wants to give. In other words, I'm going to do my best to feed God's church. Now, whether or not you eat or drink, that's between you and God. I can't force you, and I won't. But I'll do my best in hoping that you like it. I remember one time I was preaching about being salty. Um, now, sometimes when we think of that word, it, it, can, it can have a negative connotation, but the Bible says you're the salt of the earth, right? So I had this young man helping me, Brother Joy, and I won't do it to you tonight because I don't have the salt, but I didn't think of it soon enough, or I might have. But I had him come up, and, and I said, okay. I, I put a little bit of salt in his tongue. I said, go ahead and swallow that. So he did. And, and I had a big pitcher of water. I said, you getting thirsty yet? And he said, yeah, a little bit. And I said, okay. And I, I keep preaching a little bit, and I pour a little bit more salt in his tongue, and he swallows some more. I said, you getting thirsty? Said, yeah. After about the third time, he grabbed that jug of water, just, you know. Well, in some sense, I think that's what it means to be the salt of the earth, that we need to make people thirsty for the word of God. Well, I try to do the same thing with the word of God. I try to season it enough that it makes you want, it whets your appetite for more. Does that make sense? Amen. All right. So that's the first thing, feed the flock of God. Number two, here we go. First Peter 5, 2, the, the rest of the verse, or another part of the verse says, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Here, oversight means to look upon, to inspect, to look after, to care for, but not by force, which is what constraint means. So as God's chosen pastor and bishop of this church, I must willingly care for, look after, inspect, and look in upon you. That's why you'll often hear me say something like this. Thank you for letting me serve you. It is an honor to be your pastor. That's more than just words. I understand that I can't force you. I wouldn't want to anyway. That's a dictatorship. I would hope that you want to follow me as I follow Christ. So I can love and care and preach and teach and follow Jesus, but I can't force anybody to follow me. I can't even force my wife and family. 
That's the reality of free will. Here's what I do know, though. Those who allow me to serve them, allowing me to be involved in their lives, carrying their burdens with them, they seem to be a lot more blessed than those that don't. I've had times where people have come to me and said, hey, pastor, I'm going to do this and that. What do you think? I'm like, well, if you're already going to do it. I had one guy said to me, I've already signed up for this. I've already signed it online. I'm starting in two weeks. I'm like, he says, and what, what do you think? Should I do it? I'm like, serious? You're asking me if I think you should do it? You've already signed. Now, that doesn't mean that I need to be called for every decision. Pastor, should I get a Mac or a PC? Well, definitely get a Mac. But, you know, right? Okay, anybody that's still not apostolic, you know, Christmas is coming. Amen. Hmm. Well, I felt something right there. Sister Nancy, did you feel that right there? Woo! I felt it. I felt it right there. Woo, I'm going to wave at your direction. <laughs> Amen. I, I don't need to, I don't want to be called for every decision, okay? You know, seriously. I, I talked to one pastor, and I'm not kidding you. He said, I, I tell my saints they have to give me their email and their sign-in and log-in, and I'm like, I don't want all that stuff. You know, and, and here's, here's the way I, reason I say that. If, if, if you don't have enough Holy Ghost to convict you, well, then find an altar and get enough Holy Ghost to convict you. I don't have time to police everything. Amen? Besides, the Bible says, work out your own salvation with much fear and trembling. So I will do my part. Okay? But, but major things, major decisions, marriage, you know, things like that. You know, boyfriend, girlfriend stuff. You know, yeah, yeah, come to me about that. Let's talk. Let me, let me speak into your life. You know, let me help you pray about, you know, maybe a, a career change, things of that, you know, the, the big things in life. By the way, we're about to celebrate Christmas in 12 days. Can you believe that? 12 days. My goodness. Wasn't it just yesterday that, never mind. Gifts are going to be given and received. Hopefully, you will use and appreciate the gifts you receive, and hopefully those that you give gifts to will do the same. And without the risk of sounding funny, I'm not trying to be crazy, I am one of God's gifts to the church, Ephesians 4, verse 8. So let me be of service to you. I want to equip you for the full work of the ministry, but I can't force you and I can't make you do it. So let me in. Does that make sense? Okay, I will care for you. I will pray for you. I will love you. I will look in on you. I will inspect your fruit. And one day I will give an account for you to, before God. I just hope that you will allow me to be a part of your life so that I can give that account with joy, as the Bible says. Well, here's what the Bible says about that. Hebrews 13, verse 7 and 17. Verse 7 says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Verse 17, obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. This is eternal. This is not corporation. This is not CEO and employee. This is eternal realities we're talking about here tonight. 
as they must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. I don't know how that's going to happen. I, I don't know how God's going to call pastors to give an account or other fivefold members, but I know this, if, however it is, and if it's like I think it is, I want to be able to say, oh, pastor, you should have seen her, oh, Jesus, you should have seen her pray. Lord, you should have seen him worship and through the struggles. I want to be able to give that kind of an account. But if I don't know you, if all I see is you at church, hi, how you doing? Praise the Lord. God bless you. See you next Sunday. Kind of hard to have that connection, isn't it? From what I'm told of shepherding and sheep, sheep love the shepherd. And I've also been told that sheep don't bite other sheep and they don't bite the shepherd. Now, goats do that, but not sheep. That was not in my notes, Sister Alicia. That was just, it just came to me all for free right there. Just, it's still in the word, isn't it? Amen. Well, I hope this is blessing you because I know it's blessing me. Here we go. Number three. Again, 1 Peter 5, 2, the last part of the verse. I'll read the whole verse, but the last part is the third point. Feed the flock of God which is among you. We've talked about that. Taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Now watch the last part. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. So the third point would be not greedily, but readily. I appreciate God's provision. I appreciate everything he's ever given me, every blessing financially and otherwise, but I did not accept my call to preach for the income, but rather for the outcome. Filthy lucre, though, also means eagerness for base gain. And it's rooted in the spirit of greed. Balaam is one of the worst in the Bible who exhibited an eagerness for base gain. Jude, verse 11 says, Woe unto them, for they've gone in the way of Cain, ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. If you understand what he's talking about with Balaam there, Balaam prophesied, and a, and a foreign king paid him to prophesy against Israel. And, and God wouldn't let him. That's the story where the donkey spoke to him, right? It's amazing when an animal can see the presence of God and you can't. Well, here's a man who could prophesy but couldn't discern where God was. And so since he couldn't do it that way and he still got paid, he then decided, well, what I can do is convince them that they can have immoral relations, and they did. And so he introduced immorality. Jesus rebuked the angel, the pastor, of the church of Pergamum for allowing uh, some in that congregation who were greedy like Balaam. You can read about it in Revelation 2.14. And the doctrine of Balaam is rooted in greed, which eventually leads to immorality. Now, that's not necessarily always the case, but greed is a seed sin. It produces others. It never is just greed. It produces other things. It can produce jealousy. It can produce hatred. It can produce gossiping. It can produce immorality. But it... But in and of itself, it's a sin, but it's also a seed sin that does others. It's like coveting. In fact, that's why the 10th commandment is there. Thou shalt not covet. It's coming against the spirit of greed. Anybody know what the antidote for coveting is? It's another C word. Contentment. That's why Paul said, I have learned in whatever state I'm in, with many, with plenty or with nothing, uh, to be content. 
But he gave us the principle within that, that contentment is a learned behavior. Well, that means it's practiced. Let me give you an example. You want to know if you're a servant of God or not? Here's how you'll know when someone treats you like one and you react. You'll know whether or not you're a servant. Equally, when you get into a place where Sister Nancy gets all the blessings and you're not, and if you can rejoice with her without being covetous, she got a new car, she got a raise, right? If you covet that, well, then you haven't conquered that spirit yet. Contentment is, whoo, go Sister Nancy, hallelujah, praise God. Amen. How much of a raise do you want? <laughs> Big one, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Be of a ready mind. So not for filthy lucre, not eagerness for base gain, okay? But of a ready mind. This means willingly with cheerful eagerness. So instead of the eagerness for base gain, it's Turn that eagerness into a cheerful sense of, I'm doing this because I want to bless the kingdom of God. Those like Balaam eagerly and greedily serve their own needs. But those who are like Jesus eagerly and cheerfully serve the needs of others. When we go to the Last Supper, we find the apostles arguing and jockeying for position. Meanwhile, Jesus is over in the corner getting a basin and a towel ready to wash people's feet. You see, some people are into titles, but Jesus was into towels. And good pastors and others in the uh, elders in the fivefold will strive to be like Jesus, to eagerly and willfully and cheerfully serve others, especially God's church. All, along those lines, I wanted to look up a few of the attributes and characteristics of Jesus, and they include that he cares for the fatherless and the widow. This is in Psalm 146, 9. He also cares for those who have no family. We find this in Psalm 68 and Psalm 136. He's the helper, Psalm 30, 54, 121, and a host of other scriptures. He's also the helper of our weaknesses, Romans 8, 26. He's the helper of the fatherless, Psalm 10, 14. His loving kindness, the Bible says, is better than life. Psalm 63, he's the shield and buckler to help me, Psalm 35, 2. But Deuteronomy also calls him the shield of your help. And Psalm 46, 1 says he's a very present help in trouble. These are just a few. By the way, I have found 991 names and attributes and characteristics. But, so these are just a few of that list. But good elders will strive to be like Jesus, caring and loving and helping and serving and doing I never want to get to a place where I you ever hear this out of my mouth that's not my job I don't say this and, and I'm, I'm careful how I'm about to say this uh, so please just hear my heart as I say this but that lifestyle of service is why and I don't know if she's in there tonight for that reason or, or if she is in there or with someone else. But a lot of times the reason my wife isn't here on a Wednesday night in the sanctuary with us is because she's helping serve in the nursery. We don't have children in the nursery anymore. 
we don't have grandbabies yet in the nursery anymore. And I went to my wife about it, and I said, honey, you're the first lady. You don't have to do this. She goes, no, I want to. It's a servant's heart. Okay? That's what I'm talking about. All right. Number four. And this is from verses three and four. Not being, not as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So not lords, but examples is the fourth point. The religious leaders of Jesus' day thought of themselves as lords over God's heritage. They wanted prestige. They desired position and accolades and all of that. And they thought that their status was what serving God was all about. However, this phrase here also means to exercise uh, lordship with scorn and hostility. Jesus doesn't want his church nor those who lead it to act, serve, or lead in a hostile or scornful way, but rather to be an ensample, which means to be a model, a perfect pattern, and particularly in a doctrinal sense for others to follow. We would just simply say a good example or a good person to pattern your life after. We might say something like that. Well, this connects to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, when he said, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I've said it to this way before to people privately. I may have said it over the pulpit. As long as I'm following Christ, get right behind me and let's follow Jesus together. But if I stop following Christ, go find a pastor who does. Please don't follow me to hell. And if I do stop following Christ, please pray for me that I return and get back on the narrow way. Okay? Hebrews 13, 7. I read this earlier. I'm going to read it from the ESV this time. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. The world wants heroes. Have you seen all the, the movies being made? Marvel comics, DC comics? The world wants heroes. They want, they want eat good to triumph over evil. Well, why don't we be some good heroes? And namely, you know, in the pulpit. I remember growing up, some of my heroes weren't the comic characters. They were preachers. Well, hallelujah. The main sense in which God wants you to imitate me is doctrinally. That's what that word in sample literally means. It's, it's primarily in sense of doctrine that's why again i'm going to take heed into myself in the doctrine because if i do so and continue in it i'll save you and me together that's why also i'm i'm very concerned about james 3 1 and and it hangs on my spirit often and that is my brethren not, be not many masters in other words not many of you should become teachers knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation i don't want to teach somebody false doctrine i don't want to preach or teach anything contrary to god's word and if teaching you the truth will save you and me, then I'm going to do that. I'd rather leave you, lead you by example than to coerce or force you to follow. Furthermore, the church is God's body now and will be his bride when he returns. I want people to respect my bride, treating her appropriately, so why wouldn't I want to respect God's bride? 
treating you with love and with long-suffering. So to, to really summarize this point here, this fourth point about not lords but examples, you, you've often heard me say something like this. I don't pray to be a better pastor, husband, dad, etc. Here's why. I pray to be a better disciple of Jesus Christ. And in so doing, I'll be a better dad, a better husband, a better pastor, all those other things. It's not that I don't desire that. It's that I just know if I get this one right, it's a trickle-down effect. It'll affect all of who I am. This desire comes from a story I read years ago. This uh, particular, um, he's anonymous, but he was a monk, and he wrote the following. He said, when I was a young man, I wanted to change the world. I found it was difficult to change the world, so I tried to change my nation. When I found I couldn't change my nation, I began to focus on my town. I couldn't change the town, so as an older man, I tried to change my family. And then as an old man, I have come to realize that the only thing I could change was me. Now I understand that if long ago I had changed myself, I could have made an impact on my family, and my family and I could have made an impact in our town, and our, the influence of our town could have helped shape the nation, and thereby we could have changed the world. I want to be a world changer, but it starts by changing me. It starts by influencing my family and others to serve and follow Christ. So I will lead, I will feed, but not with greed and being mindful indeed. And I'm not trying to sound like Dr. Seuss there. <laughs> you see, a great summary of everything that we see here in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, also we can see a pattern of that emerge from 1 Timothy 6, verses 11 through 16. Allow me to read this to you as we're getting ready to wrap up here. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he will show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath ever seen, nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. And so from Timothy's uh, passage here, God measures his elders expecting them to serve his church, leading by example. And, and here's what I must do if I'm going to be a, an elder, a pastor, a bishop. I must flee immorality, idolatry, false teaching and teachers, youthful lusts and so on. The word flee there is fuego. It's, it's fugitive. It's to be on the run forever. It's not that, okay, I'm 50 now, so I've achieved the success of running from... No, it's still running from all of those things. I must flee them continually. I'm a fugitive from sin. I must never stop fleeing it. But 
as equally as I'm fleeing sin, I must follow after righteousness and godliness and faith and love and steadfastness and peace and so on and so forth. I must aggressively pursue and chase after those things much like a hunter eagerly and earnestly desires to overtake his prey. I must pursue it with everything in me, following wholeheartedly the things of God. So flee, follow, but I must also fight the good fight of faith. I must earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints, the Bible says. I must carry on this fight to the death if necessary. Because when you look at that passage, both in Timothy and in Jude, it's indicating and even using words that correspond to the gladiators who would fight to the death. And finally, I must be faithful to God. So I must flee, sin, follow God, fight the good fight of faith, and be faithful to the Lord to keep His commandments and to remain pure morally, spiritually, and doctrinally. I must be faithful so that I'm free from being reproached and so that others cannot find any wrong even when they attack me. In other words, I must strive to be like Daniel, that the only bad thing they can say about me is I pray consistently. That's all they could say about it. They said, we can't find anything. He doesn't cheat. He doesn't steal. He's not, you know, gossiping about the king. All we can do is that man prays every day three times a day. And they were able to twist something good that he did for evil. But sadly, God had the last laugh there, delivered Daniel from the den, and they went into it. You see, what's so amazing about God's grace is that he entrusts his church into human hands. I'm not perfect. Neither are you. And that alone should compel every one of us to handle his grace and his church carefully. You've seen those boxes, fragile, handle with care. I think in some sense, Grace is that way, and the church is that way. I want to do the job God's called me to do with the utmost integrity possible. And I hope you do too, and I hope you want a pastor that does that. I don't think you'd be here tonight if you didn't. So I'm going to assume that whether or not you're shaking your head, saying amen, or something else, that... No, I, I know. I'm not doing that for a response. I, I know your heart. You're, you're here on a Wednesday night. It's midweek. I get that. And I know those that are watching who would be here if they weren't out for sickness or some other reason. I'm thankful for the men of God that have served in my life over the course of my life. That's had their hand on me. I've been blessed. I know some have been hurt by pastors, and I'm sure I've hurt some people. I know I have, and, and I'm grateful that God's allowed me to have uh, an opportunity to repent in those cases and make things right. But I'm thankful for those men of God who love me enough to tell me the truth, even if it hurt. 
thankful for those and, and those pastors' wives, those men and women of God who, who serve faithfully. Amen. And still serve because I have a pastor. I'm not just up here winging it on my own. I have a covering. And I'm grateful for that covering. Amen. Well, let's stand together. Thank you, Jesus. So I know you might have expectations of what it means to be a pastor. And I just want to say this. I'm really grateful for this church. And I, I say that like different times when you guys bless us, birthdays and Father's Days and things like that. But I, I want to just say this. I know pastors who sometimes are expected to do the impossible. I know some churches where they must think that pastor never needs any sleep and that he can work eight days a week and 32 hours every day. And I don't feel that from this church. I mean, this week has been uh, an uptick in a lot of phone calls and, and, and messages and people needing prayer, and I'm grateful for that, and that's okay. You know, some weeks it's only one or two, but whatever. But there's, but there's also this sense of, hey, you need a vacation too. And I really appreciate that. I, I don't feel like I'm overworked and underpaid. And, and that means a lot to me, so thank you. When I say this is the best church, I, it's not just words. I'm not saying that to hope that you put, you know, $100 more in my, in my card or something next year. I'm saying it because it, I really think this is the best church. And even if 100 other churches came open, well, you know, sorry, I've, I got this one trained pretty good. <laughs> oh, I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm teasing. <laughs> I love you. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for letting me be the under-shepherd for your people. Thank you for letting me pastor the best group of people on planet Earth, God. I pray that you would bless all of us as we work together. I pray for my pastor tonight. I pray for my spiritual covering tonight. I pray that you would bless the men and women of God that, that hold me accountable to your word, who these expectations I've preached about tonight, they themselves have those same upon them. And I pray that you would help me and the pastoral team of this church that we would love like you love, give like you give, serve like you serve. In Jesus' name I pray. Everyone said amen. God bless you, love you. Let's be the church.